0: Hey, welcome to a conversation with, my name is Philip DeFranco, and today we're having a conversation with Casey Neistat, who, uh, because we live in weird times, is not here and is rather uh, just talking to me on my computer, and I'm talking to him on several screens myself, and we're recording it for the internet, because we're internet people and that's all we know how to do. But a lot of this is a kind of, uh, therapeutic, probably too strong of a word, but it's just kind of nice to do something that I know is technically productive and hopefully escapism for you but it's also i think escapism for myself and whoever i'm having on so that we can not focus on the the really heavy stuff in life maybe talk about some of it but kind of just <laughs> do something less serious i feel like we need that in this time and uh, i was very happy that you know Dr. Mike last week obliged Casey this week obliged that's not a word i normally use uh, but that said I hope you enjoy this podcast of us blabbing and and learning about each other even more than before just doing this to see if the podcast editor editor is better with jump cuts. Nailed it. Casey, what are you doing right now? Thank you for making the time.
1: (laughs) um, I use this invitation to hide from my children for an hour, and I'm really excited about it. (laughs)
0: it it might Uh, go 90 minutes about
1: nothing and this will still be the highlight of my day.
0: Are you, uh, are you slowly going crazy out there?
1: You know what it is? It's, uh, I think what's really challenging for folks like me. And when I say folks like me, I mean, really lucky people. I got plenty of food. I, I, I'm very fortunate to live in a nice house. Like I've, I've, there's nothing wrong, but, um, it's tough for people like me to complain. That doesn't mean everything's perfect. And I think like the, the stress is that like Kim started crying two days ago because it's just, it's, it, the stress of being sort of confined in one spot with little kids, I think is something that's really, really challenging. You, you got kids too. I imagine you're, you're dealing with some of the same stuff. They don't understand why they can't be in school. You know how many, no matter how many times you tell them coronavirus, it doesn't make sense to them. And if I'm feeling this stress, just imagine what like a, a one-year-old and a five-year-old are going through. So mm-hmm. Short story, we're great. Long story is that it's you know it's more nuanced than that. Yeah. Um, but I definitely don't feel like I'm in a position where I, I I have any right to complain because when I look at the landscape of of kind of this planet or the jobs numbers today or the um, you know a, any of those real problems, I realize just how lucky I am.
0: Yeah, I think the uh, the the kids feeling stress was something that like kind of eluded me for the first few weeks until like our our son like opened up and like was really sad about the fact that he might not because he's he's graduating and going to a new school uh, next next uh, next year and so he like really started understanding like oh I might not see them in person again and he got like really sad and it was it was also an eye opening moment for me of oh that I can't even imagine how you're processing this because I thought we had done this really effective job of you know explaining the situation while not making it scary and i think I, to mm-hmm. your point i think it's it's it is a whole different experience having kids in this because i was saying to to mike who uh, dr mike who i was talking to before you i was like if i if i <laughs> didn't have kids i think i would literally do my show And then just take edibles for the rest of the day and not acknowledge any of the stressors in my life. And then I'd wake up and I'd shoot the show again and just only be a human being for about six to seven hours a day.
1: Yeah, you know, my my wife has like a text thread with all of her friends. And um, there's a couple couples within that group, group that don't have any kids. And they're going on and on about like how they got to catch up on all their Netflix specials. And they finally got to read that book. I've got a friend who's learning Spanish. And it's like, you know what, man? Go fuck yourself. You know what I got to do today? I hid in the bathroom for 10 minutes and watched TikTok, all right? That was the highlight of my week. Um, <laughs> the, because like the, the anxiety that we have to get out of the house and do things, these little ones, they don't, know how to, they don't know how to cope with that. They don't know how to deal with that. And the stress of seeing them cope with that stress just makes it so hard. Like, um, you know, Trey and Franny are the same age, and this is her leaving her preschool. Mm-hmm. And one thing that Candace and I a lot about is like she still does her morning it's called morning circle, but on um, on Zoom where all the kids are there, and we don't know if it's good or it's bad because it reminds her every day of all of her friends. It evokes the all those big questions: Why can't I see my friends? And um, you know, it's like, is it better just to let her kind of forget temporarily, or is it better to keep reminding her every day that like here's all of your friends that you don't get to see? And then as, and then as a parent, like the stress that that puts you through just sucks. Yeah. But yeah, I, if I didn't have kids right now, I think you know, the edibles consumption would be through the roof and my skill set on Warzone would just be off the charts, Phil. So you wouldn't be able to make fun of me million. I, I will say
0: you've gotten better. I uh I I have seen a lot of people start with like a, a first person shooter, <laughs> have that the old man reflexes and just stay there, but you've actually gotten yeah. better.
1: Yeah, well it's um it's what I do every night from when the kids go to bed at eight PM until when I crawl into my cave at like one in the morning.
0: Also, I'll let you know it, that I felt a, a weird sense of uh, worth and pride when you, uh, well, you tweeted me that Dean wanted me to play Warzone with you guys. I was yeah, like, you yeah. you should know.
1: Phil, you're like in the upper echelon of skill set among our Warzone friends. Among I mean, we enjoy your, enjoy your company. We we enjoy your company. But also, we you know, we need somebody with a strong back to carry us through. Well,
0: what's nice, I will say, what's nice playing Warzone with you and your brother and whoever, I forget was the, the third, is is that you guys are so low ranked and I think that, I think it's still skill based matchmaking that I end up being like the best person in the lobby (laughs) and out of nowhere, I'm getting like 10 to 15 kills a game. And I'm like, this is not normal. I I, I only want to, I only want to play Warzone with you guys. Now I like logged on last night and I was like, all right, I'll do a solo got completely murdered. And I was like, oh, I'll do it later. I'll go to rocket league or actually pay attention to my family for a second.
1: Yeah. It's like an adult playing whiffle ball with the four year old that, uh, at the family reunion, you just kick some ass.
0: But, but Casey, I know that, I know that I constantly joke about you being a, a former YouTuber and you haven't posted in what's probably about two months. Uh, what are you working on right now for the people before we jump into our so, game
1: so I, that you can I, talk I about? Have, Cause I
0: know that you, I know that you have a number of projects.
1: I do have a, like a bunch of YouTube videos in the works. And, um, I did one really great project where I just like, you know, I took my, I, I, I have a, a long-term contract with NordVPN. Um, they're good great. Guess. And it's yeah, just so like, you know, they they give me a certain amount of money to like put ads or plugs. I think you've worked with them in the past mm-hmm. and I'm behind on delivering them a video. So what I did this month is I took the whole budget and my whole fee um, and a little bit more. And I, I, I got to go like $50,000 and I gave um, $50,000. I gave a thousand dollars to 50 different families and people so I just kind of met on you know, Twitter, and I met through um, friends and things like that, just people that are right on the cusp of like not being able to cover rent, not being able to buy groceries, like people who are right there at the edge. And um, I made a video that just sort of talks about that, and some of the folks I met wanted to share their story, so I included that in there. And I'm working on that video. It was a great project. I have to say I'm, I've never struggled to... Focus and make something like I have in the last couple of months. And Candace says the same thing to me. Like she says, when she sees a, um, when she sees like a, any sort of messages or notes from her employees or anything like that, she just gets this overwhelming sense of anxiety when a Slack notification comes up. And it's this weird thing. It's like you're not doing anything all day long, but you have this impotency to actually correct that. And I don't know how to desc- like I'm, I don't know how to interpret that or how to describe that. But I'm definitely feeling that. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not one for excuses, but I've never felt like this inability to just sit down and focus and do work. And right now when I try to do that, like my head goes to a really fucked up weird place.
0: No, no, I get that. I think there's like this disconnect from the stuff that can come out of your mouth and the stuff that you are genuinely feeling in, in your head. Cause it's like, I know that I've openly said like, it's okay if we're, if you're not thriving right now, It's, it's a time of surviving, but still. I say that and I always everything. I always say kind of when it comes to, the, to a, a advice of any kind, it feels like 70% of it's directed at me. <laughs> I'm like, maybe some of this will fucking sink into my stupid head. Uh, cause then I'm still, cause then I still feel like, yeah, those, those pressures, uh, and the guilt of like not doing that not thing. Um, so Casey, something that I want to do. Um, I have a, I have a little card game here. There are different additions, some for strangers, some for friends. I feel like we're kind of in this, uh, this middle ground, right? Because we're not I'm not okay. I'm, I'm not your Jesse Wellens.
1: <laughs> that sounds that sounds I wish you I wish you were, Phil. I wish you were, you know. <laughs> well, I don't know what all that one in a million talk is about, but I'm here. <laughs> and I'm here for
0: you. But I feel like we're in this this little place where we can learn a lot about ourselves. Uh maybe each other. Yeah. Let's uh, so go. okay. So I'm gonna start from the friend pile because last video we we were doing all strangers. Uh and you're gonna read this.
1: Here we go. What was the last time I disappointed you? How do you feel about it now? That's <laughs> a heavy place to start. That's bro. a heavy place. I was what? expecting a softball here. Uh, I think
0: the last time you disappointed me—such a heavy word, such a heavy weighted word.
1: I
2: know. Uh,
0: so heavy. Okay, but there should be no guilt associated with it. it is it is literally a one-sided situation? It was when you dropped the dailies because you were my mornings. <laughs> I think that's which but that's but that's the thing though is that's not considerate considerate of you or your time that's you serving a purpose for me.
1: No, that's a very flattering thing for you to say. I appreciate that. Um, and I hear that a lot. You know, just about that is um those vlogs like in my head and I not to project but I'd love to know if you feel similarly about the, you know, the your show, the Phil DeFranco show. But when I was in it and when I was making those I, um, you know, I appreciated them and I put everything I had into each and every episode, but it did just sort of feel like this fun little thing that I did. And every day between me stopping that daily show, that daily vlog, And today I think my understanding and appreciation and me just getting what that was and sort of both its external impact and then what it was for me to make something like that every day, that appreciation goes up as I get further and further away from it. So I guess what I'm saying is like, at the time, it just felt like a nothing. It was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't feel like skateboarding anymore. I don't feel like making these little videos anymore. But now when I look back at like this idea that I had a, a, a video, 10 minute video of every day in my life five years ago, it feels so heavy. And like, what a way to capture your life. And I, I like ponder, Phil, I think about like, what's it going to be like in 10 or 15 years when I can, when I can look back at that. Yeah, I get that. You ever think, I think about that? You have. You're like one of those few YouTubers where you got. You can go back and see sexy Phil in
0: 2008. Yeah, and other people can too, and that's horrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had some. I was messaging. So we're we're trying to get the uh. We're, we're. I don't know if it'll happen by the time this video is up, but the the PDS is going to start existing in another place that in in a premium setting, and uh, we were talking about like at what output will we do? And someone used it. Someone said. You know, you've been so prolific for so long, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I've done so much." I, I, I will say, I, from an appreciation standpoint, I love seeing kind of old vlogs where I get to see uh, my oldest when he was like one, two, three, mm. and just seeing that evolution. It's kind of cool to see like what was happening at the time. But the main thing that I feel more regularly is the fear of kind of what you're talking about. Is I know how much I'll miss this once I don't right. have it. Because um, I, and I have seen that unfortunately in like a number of friends who uh, jumped or left or whatever for for a period of time and now even though they're monetarily like fine that they crave what they what they used to have and so I I think that that's also helpful for me though is because it's like I know that's there and so that's why I have these like little breaks <laughs> so that I can kind of handle the long run but we'll see all right I'm gonna do. Wow, this is—we might have to go to the the strangers one. Who takes more responsibility in our in our friendship, Casey?
1: Jesus Christ, Phil! Fuck, this is weighted. <laughs> 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 Who takes more responsibility? Um, well, I would say like you're more proactive in like organizing these talks and sure. like. You know, when we hang out and there's no camera and there's no recording devices, it's usually like chasing around our kids, um, playing with whoopee cushions. Um, Dude, that, I was know, like, I the, that was such a hit. I think that was such a hit. That was such a... I think the last... I think when you were at my house that one time, both of our older children got into the M&Ms or some sort of mm-hmm. disaster like that. Um, but there's not a lot of like... There's not a lot of you and me time in those moments, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> and since you're since you're the one who makes these kinds of talks happen, I don't know that like two grown ass men with children would otherwise like, be like, Hey Casey, it's Phil. Just wonder if you'd like to spend an hour today talking to me. Like, I don't think we would do that if we didn't have this excuse to make these (laughs) moments happen. So I'm going to go ahead and say that like, I think you're the one who takes more of the initiative in, 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 you know, in making this connection stay alive.
0: Yeah. I feel like the, the way we communicate outside of like, recent weeks because of war zone (laughs) specifically is like we won't talk for a really long time and then we'll talk back and forth almost constantly Um, for several hours and then it dissipates but that's like that's me with most people i think i don't know if that's the case for you
1: i will say like as i got older i really appreciated the fact that like you can have friendships you can have relationships that go huge gaps with with no communication with no interaction And then when you do see one another, you pick up right where you left off. And I think that's like, that's a sign of something special. And I have that, like, in recent years, I have tried to work harder to, you know, rekindle and maintain the relationships I have with like my high school friends back in Connecticut. And I realized like which friends were like, I had the most meaningful relationship with because I'll pick up the phone and call them. And it's as if we're talking, you know, like the same conversation we'd had if if we spoke every day. And that's a really nice feeling. Um, and then those fucking friends are like, yo, why didn't you call me last week? And like, fuck you, man. I got two kids I'm trying to feed.
0: Yeah, I I haven't tried that in a really long time. I think uh, when I was kind of like 24, 25, I tried to keep up with some. But then I realized mm-hmm. the dynamic had changed too much because I was very much like uh, the I wasn't the main friend you know I was like the sidekick in a lot of relationships and then I realized like I harbored a lot of resentment
2: (laughs) once once I got to be the
0: fucking main character in my own story all right I'm gonna switch to to strangers let's see if so it's not like how am I special to you Casey (laughs)
1: all right let's see uh when was the last time I made you cry
0: I'm just kidding. What? That's not
1: what it says. That's not, oh, what, it says. That's okay. not what it says. That's not what it, I it says. I was like, "That's a weird question okay. as a stranger." What was the last time you doubted someone's love for you, Phil? Where did you get the <laughs> cards? Is, is this deck of cards called like existential crisis in forty-two pieces, and fifty-two pieces of paper?
0: Uh, uh, let see. What was the last time you doubted someone's love? Shit, I don't know, man. Um, I'm,
1: I'm, th- I'm thinking about this one too.
0: There was a, there was like one of two times in my career that like a chunk of my audience turned against me and it was like very instantaneous. I think that's the closest thing because I, I don't really feel that from like my wife or my kids or maybe a super, super long time ago. I kind of resented when like a, a family member just like expected money from me out of nowhere mm-hmm. just because I finally had some. Um, but no, I think that's the it's the audience. I think. I'd always seen other audiences be kind of fickle and then thought I was in like a different position, not realizing I'm just another piece in the game. Um, so I think that, and I think it made me appreciate those, uh, who stand with me even more.
1: Yeah, that's a good, I, I had a bullshit answer. I was just going to say like my poodle, my last dog, my best friend. And then yeah. she like shit in my bed. I know she's in the bed on purpose.
0: Just and I thought she loved me. Why would, why do you think she was angry?
1: Um, it was when Franny was born. She's Ooh. just jealous. But I still don't think that warrants shitting in someone else's bed. How, well, how else are they going to communicate? Growls? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but seriously, the the cancel culture thing is a tricky one because you look at like – I mean, I was fortunate where I didn't feel too much of it. There were a couple of times when I made videos that I think like – you know, like when I made my – the video that was like my anti Donald Trump video about Mm. how much I hate the guy and I won't vote for him. And I didn't want my audience to vote for him. A lot of people got upset with me about that, but that was understandable. I expected a heavy blowback from that, um, both from the substance, what I was saying and the way that I said it. And that didn't surprise me at all. It hurt, but it didn't surprise me at all. But there were a couple of other times where it was like that. But when I see it happening to other creators in ways that I feel like are unfounded. Um, I feel their pain. And I know how difficult that can be because you do develop this relationship with your audience that feels so, so real. Mm-hmm. And I don't think in real life, like in real life, there's always these opportunities to um, work things out, talk things through. If you're upset with me because of something, you would call me, we'd have a conversation and like the friendship would endure because we'd understand one another's perspectives and then we'd move on. And I think that the relationship that creators have with their audiences, it lacks that. And I think for a lot of people, both on the audience side and on the creator side, there's a lack of willingness to sort of understand one another. Um, It goes from you're the greatest thing. And I love you so much to fuck you. And I, you know, you're awful. And there's this gang mentality. And I think that's really, really tough. Because to be on the receiving end of that, there's Mm -hmm. very little distinction between like, this and your Twitter audience versus like, you know, the actual people you see every day. Yeah. Um, when, when you're a creator, you really do feel like your audience is your friend group is your support system is your, this, this entity that you have this symbiotic intimate relationship with. And when they turn on you, it hurts the same way that like I hurt when my high school girlfriend dumped me (laughs) and that pain is real. Yeah
0: because uh, yeah it's like a questioning of your character and it's also it feels impossible to deal with such uh, a wave of o- overwhelming righteous anger you
1: know I yeah, exactly. yeah exactly
0: exactly all right i'm gonna see if this is another heavy one oh shit casey how do you want to be remembered
1: <laughs> oh god well i think you should you always have to preface that by be like or anytime you're talking about legacy you preface it by like you really have no control over your own legacy. That is a determination that only other people can make. But I hope, right? I try every day just to be like, to be honest. And if people choose to hate me for my honesty, that's okay. As long as they're hating me for my honesty and they're not hating me for um, a misconception of who I might be. Um, So I always try to do that. And it's like with my kids, I always try to be the, the sort of the best parent I can be while also just being straightforward with them. Like I, I get in fights with all three of my children, including my one year old all the time, but I think it's important to like not roll over and to make sure people know who you are. So at the end of the day, I hope I'm remembered as being someone with integrity. And, uh, I think if you can have that, then that's, that's kind of good.
0: Do you think you're going to get long-term more value out of, like the, the larger projects and documentaries that you're going to make that, you know, kind of like, kind of like with any other movie people can go back and watch, uh, compared to the everyday content that you put out?
1: I, I don't know. Like, I, you know, I look back at the body of my work and I'm, you know, I'm almost 40 years old now. So I've got 20 years of movies and feature films. And like, you know, I know what it's like. I, I stood on the stage at the Cannes Film Festival with a screen behind me and a standing ovation audience for a feature film that I produce right behind me. And then I know what it means to like have a YouTube video, do 10 million views in a day. And it's like, I've been so lucky to have these peaks in my career. Mm -hmm. So when I look back and I try to say what is the most significant piece of work I've done, at least to me personally, I do think it's the, it is the, the, the total of that, whatever, 600 to 800 episodes of that daily vlog. And it's difficult to compare like 800 episodes of a project to one video. Um, But I think that like that in total will be so meaningful. Like what would it be like right now, Phil, if there was somebody who in the 1970s acutely captured every moment of their day in like a cinematic way and they shared it with you in an intimate way. And you could go back and examine someone's life over the course of several years on a day-to-day basis. Mm. I think that would be like really substantive. And I think that in the last like 10 years, there's been a number of YouTubers that have done that really, really well. And as time goes by, I think the value of that body of work is going to become more and more meaningful. So I think your question was like, what's the, what's the piece? And for me, it, it, right now, it's that vlog. It's that yeah. And it also makes me appreciate it that I stopped it because, um, I've been blabbing for a minute, but my attention span is very narrow. And like, I, you know, like I was a, I used to race on a profession on a professional triathlon team. Like I was like a proper endurance athlete and it lasted like three or four years. I just got bored of it. And I started doing something else. And like when I was YouTubing every single day, I was like, this is me. I am a YouTuber and this is all I ever want to be. And then three years later, it kind of started to change. And now I look at YouTube again, more as a distribution outlet rather than kind of my own identity. You know, I want to make pieces of video content that I think are great. And I still think YouTube is the best place to share them. But that's a very different mind frame from, you know, putting your life out there as a YouTuber every Mm -hmm. single day. So that, um, you know, that, that progression, I think, in how I work, in this medium, I think is something that I'm super aware of. And I've come to a place where I can appreciate the, you know, it maturing.
0: Yeah. It's just, I don't know that, that, that question stood out to me just because I also recently watched uh, an episode of the morning show and it was completely not the point of this conversation, but there was an interesting, uh, question mentioned by, uh, Steve Carell, who is like being in the news, like how will a person, Remember me compared to that of like a filmmaker, right? Because a filmmaker has these pieces mm. that people can go back to. The closest thing a person has in the news to that is tragedy, which is like this very unfortunate situation of these like most horrific moments. Like they're from like a 9-11, there are people that probably remember like distinct audio clips or distinct uh reporting or right. yeah, stuff like that. I don't know. Interesting. Okay. I'm jumping back um, to the friends, Casey. <laughs> this might come with wait wait but... <laughs> wait no, what you got what you got before i jump into the friends question
1: no i was gonna say there's this there's a documentary out there and it's about mike wallace and mike wallace was, was a journalist he started he started 60 minutes and you know he's sort of one of the most renowned journalists sort of in american history and um you know he died a couple years ago and this documentary tells the story of his entire life it's fucking fantastic uh but it, it's exactly that. Like how do you remember a journalist? And watching that movie was really interesting because there was one point in the movie where this guy, Mike Wallace, who's like this this most respected journalist kind of in America, and he was a, this powerhouse. He went through this very dark episode in the eighties where he um you know, he sort of exposed some 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 malfeasance that happened around the Vietnam War. And because of that, like the U.S. government came after him and the people he was talking about. And he was always on the right side. He was always speaking truth to power. But it besmirched his name in such a fantastic way. And his concern over sort of both his legacy and, you know, what that meant to him, it brought him to the edge, like so much so that he tried to commit suicide and he never talked about it. Um, he never talked about that moment in his life, but this documentary really captures that. And I think it underscores like just how much that relationship with the how the world sees you when you're someone who puts yourself out there. Just how profound that is on, the, on an individual.
0: Yeah. No, I get that. Let's you know? see. Oh, friends group question. <laughs>
1: Let's Casey, go.
0: Casey, how am I different than you imagined I would be when we first met?
1: How am I different from how I imagined you'd be when we first met? Well, I mean, your teeth are much whiter now, Phil. I know we talked <laughs> about
0: that. Dude, I... But your teeth are I, I fantastically whiter. I, uh, I watch back on some older videos now, and I'm like, oh, oh, I hated them. I
1: hated them. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think that... I think that, like... You and I have way more in common than maybe I ever understood, like before we knew each mm. other, I knew your work really well, and when you reached out to me, like whatever that was, two thousand and fifteen you were coming to New York, I so, yeah remember we hung out in my studio on a rain on a day that was pouring rain out. yeah um I always saw you as like one of these super legacy youtubers that always had like a real integrity to your work, and like as you move forward, you always sort of maintain this ethos of integrity that I appreciated. But I don't think I understood then. And I, I do appreciate now, like just how much we have in common. Like, very pragmatically, we're both married to these like troublemaker women who are fucking fearless and don't give a shit and like just speak their mind. And like most of the time, she's like, what am I going to do with her? And that's great. And, like, we have two kids that are exactly the same age. We both deal with the same shit. And now we live in the same city. And I think that in our conversations that aren't broadcast for the world to see, we both have similar sort of feelings and, and confusing feelings and conflicted feelings about what it means to be a, a social media person who puts their lives out there for the rest of the world to see. Um. So what was the phrasing of the question? What's different about you that I...
0: Yeah, how am I different than you imagined I would be? But I think I kind of... How are you different?
1: It. Yeah, I think that hits on it. I think that you're... That we have way more in common than was, I think I could have possibly imagined uh, first, before we get to know one another.
0: Yeah. No, the first time we met, that was like... <laughs> The only good thing about that trip, uh, I I don't know if I mentioned this to you, uh, we lost so much money from that completely pointless trip it was uh i think i went out there initially for SourceFed live uh because youtube or google gave us space and no one no one in the company had informed me that the sponsor had dropped out two weeks prior uh and so and so we did it for no money lost tens of thousands of dollars and so i was like whatever i am mean at least i'm gonna be able to <laughs> bump into casey and because uh, at that point i was uh i was definitely a a big fan
1: before meeting you ruined it. Yeah, I get that a lot. (laughs) I get that Candace says the same thing to me every day.
0: Hey, I hope you're still enjoying the podcast. It is me, other Philip DeFranco, who is trying to get you to buy stuff and also thanking the sponsor of today's show, or actually one of the sponsors of today's episode, Raycon. And look, Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. And before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out Raycon earbuds first. I mean, they start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds from other top audio brands on the market without sacrificing any of the sound quality. And their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are definitely my favorite. With six hours of playing time, a compact carrying case that can charge your earbuds four times with a single charge, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a compact design. It's really just a bonus that they're so stylish and come in so many colors. You know, for these spots, they sent me a pair to try them out, test them out. They're so comfortable. They've become my go-to. You know, last week I saw a number of people saying, what are those headphones you're shooting these podcasts with? It's those Raycons. Quality is great. They're comfortable. I know they're going to last no matter how much I'm going to blab. And it really just does make doing these both for myself and the production team that much easier. I I really can't recommend them enough. So on that note, What are you waiting for? Raycon earbuds are not only comfortable and stylish, but they sound amazing. If you want to join me in owning a pair of your own, just click on that link in the description down below or go to buyraycon.com slash conversation to get 15% off your wireless earbuds. That's buyraycon.com slash conversation just in case you needed to hear it twice. With
1: that said, back to the podcast. Oh, here we go. In five words, describe how others perceive think they perceive you Hmm. in five words how do
0: how do they perceive me um i that's a tough one i think people are more professional (laughs) than i am
1: more professional than i am that's that's
0: how I think people perceive me. Uh I think they perceive I, me.
1: No, I think that speaks way more to your own insecurities than to the reality.
0: <laughs> is this what this fucking I mean, <laughs> podcast is gonna be? Is just people pointing out <laughs> that I have like no self-worth, even though I should?
1: Let's cycle let's cycle analyze shirt, you Your merch.
0: The problem is this is gonna be such a constant thing that people are gonna think that I'm like you know, it's like when you say something negative about yourself because you're hoping that people fucking give you compliments. Like, <laughs> I don't want that to be the case. Like, it, the the last thing I want is for the the comments of this video to be like, "Come on, you you are the best person." You're
2: but I also great, don't. But girl. I also don't
0: want people to be like, "Stop fucking trying to get pity." So I, I I'm I'm dealing with stuff. I I, I hope over the next. I hope a byproduct of me having more time to focus on myself, thanks to just the world being on fire right now, Uh, in part, one of the benefits is that I can work on me because I have to focus uh, on me because I'm going to be alone with me more.
1: You go to therapy?
0: I, I do a form of therapy.
1: Okay. My, I go very formally go to therapy like once a week. I do it more if it's very expensive, but I go once a week and I stop during this quarantine because obviously like my, my therapist it was a doctor it was just like we can do it over the phone or on skype and i said to her like i don't have the ability to focus mm. like part of the reason why therapy works for me is because i'm sitting in front of you and i can't glance at my phone i can't look away and if we try to do it online i couldn't do it and it's been whatever almost two months now and i can feel like the functionality of my brain becoming so much less efficient. I can feel myself struggling with little things that I used to be able to make sense of when I had that weekly reset of a doctor helping me understand my feelings and thoughts. Uh, so I'm, I, I just volunteer that information because like I've never had such an, I've never had the opportunity to go to therapy before or maybe I've just never prioritized it and I've started in the last year and the impact on me has been huge and I never realized that more than in the last month where I had not been going.
0: Yeah. I mean, I initially started where it was like I could type things out, then I realized I need like actual uh FaceTime just through like a Skype. Um, cause I, I can I can stay focused enough and I can get it. But yeah, I, I think maybe once things calm down then I'll I'll do an in person <laughs> again.
1: It it's it's tough. You have to be you have to be at a place in your life where you're ready for it. It's like that thing you can't help someone who's not willing to help themselves. I know for me personally, when I look back, like the reason why I didn't do it before, like, is because I wasn't really willing to confront that aspect of who I was. Instead, I just be like, I don't, I, I don't need therapy. It's not for me.
0: I want to, I want to get to a place where I'm not scared to do psychedelics <laughs> because the stuff that I suppress is going to come out. That's that's the level of good that I want to get to.
1: I know. Me and <laughs> me and Jesse always talk about like whenever we like whenever we get stoned together. We always start with these. High ideas, what we call them, high idea conversations, where we have a really high idea, hence the name high idea, and it always starts really fun, enthusiastic, and then we start to stone intellectualize it, intellectualize it, intellectualize, it. and then invariably, Phil, it gets to a place where the conversation which started about like how to make a prank video, and you become so deep that like we're no longer comfortable being around one another, and it's like, all right, bro, cool talk. I'm gonna go home now, and like, we're, there's a genuine awkwardness there that like interrupts our friendship because we just start with these crazy ideas. So, I appreciate what you're saying. Like, you need to get to a place where you can trust your own thoughts, and uh, yeah, and using using any sort of uh, what's a euphemism for drugs, Phil? What's a euphemism? Using sort of any sort of external stimulation can be a, a put you in a volatile position.
0: Yeah. That said, I still don't think I'd probably do psychedelics. There's no, there's no point where every, my brain's gonna be that that <laughs> that ready.
1: Have you uh, ever let's let's take this podcast in a Joe Rogan direction? Have you ever done um, mushrooms?
0: No, but if there was anything that I would try that I haven't tried, it would be mushrooms.
1: I um I yeah those are those are an interesting one
0: (laughs) casey realize casey's figuring out how to navigate this
1: (laughs) no look i mean like i'm i i I don't have an opportunity to do to like experiment with shit like that with like two kids and like i just i'm just not in a position in my life but i'm not afraid of that like i think back to candace and i when i proposed to her in amsterdam there it's like there it's um it's regulated and you like buy them like in a store and they tell you what yeah. the effects are. And that was the last time I tried something like that. And I, I like, we, we had a lot of fun and we laughed a lot. But when I try to think of doing, so I, I'm just intimidated by that stuff. Mm. Like I'm not comfortable being around myself after I've had three or four beers.
0: <laughs> Why
1: is that? I'm totally serious. Phil. have you ever seen me drink before?
0: I'm trying to think from the times we've hung out. No, the right? answer's no, no.
1: Um, I just know I don't I don't Do you feel like, like
0: you become a different person or you just don't engage or what
1: yeah it's like I don't I don't I, I mean I've never not since I was like a single guy in New York City have I really like been into alcohol mm-hmm. and when, when it comes to like weed obviously since moving to California where it's le- like weed in New York City I just never I, I wasn't a big I wasn't like a big pothead there because it's I didn't know how to get it and when you say that to anybody in New York they're like bro it's so easy to get They're literally it delivery services you want the number and i'm like nah like not being able to get it was the way that i kept myself from like yeah. smoking pot every day in new york city but being out here it's like like i like have these sodas that have weed in them and i drink that but it's Does that like, it's is so- that actually work
0: do you feel something like positive
1: so they call those sodas like micro dose sodas okay is like my like- mother-in-law 70 like them um, so it's a very gentle thing but like, if I drink a couple of those and I play Warzone with you, like that's a lot of fun. Yeah, I don't know that I could like smoke a joint and go and hang out and be social. No, I just no, no, no. you know I don't I don't trust my intellect when it comes to weed or alcohol or anything else that I might consume.
0: Yeah, no, my my public high experiences are ninety five percent. It's close to the end of the night. I'm gonna go home. I smoke uh, something from, uh, or a smoke a joint from a friend that always ends up being way too strong, and then I'm, <laughs> and then, and then I'm like in the back of some Uber, just going like, oh god, that was dumb, that was dumb, because uh, yeah, I don't know I how people communicate. I yeah, well, because I'm also one. If if I'm in public, I just anytime I come across someone, I want them to get the best version of me, and I'm just yeah. horrified by the idea that one someone's gonna have a shitty experience and then two i'm gonna be filmed being an idiot (laughs) so i'm just like "Eh, just keep that shit at home
1: there's a there's a picture like i i posted a picture last week on twitter that was from Getty images or something like that i googled myself and shared uh, Shutterstock, shutter stock something like that yeah and i posted that and then like other people went to that photo services and looked up other pictures of me and there's this picture of me which you should put into this podcast there's this picture of me sitting alone on a chairlift And it was when I went up there with Dan, I think for like his birthday, we were celebrating something. And there was three of us. So it was like one person always had to sit alone on the chairlift, which is a nice time to sit and reflect. But we had definitely like celebrated Skiing together that day by like smoking a joint or something like that, and I'm on the chairlift and I just look alone and scared. <laughs> and how I looked in that picture was exactly how I was feeling, man.
0: That's they're gonna like put I you just, on. They're gonna put you on a poster where it's like it's okay to talk
1: <laughs> or some shit like that. Exactly. Don't be afraid to reach out for help. <laughs> or it's like, <laughs> or it's like Casey before before smoking pot or like this, like Casey after, <laughs> like just turn into this insecure kind of like. I feel like a smaller version of myself. But still, I've been working my way through my whole life with this face. If I smoke weed and I lose my ability to converse, I got nothing. Nothing.
0: No, it's like uh it's like when you uh when you don't have a sense and the other ones become stronger. <laughs> exactly right. right exactly Casey. right. Casey, we're going back okay. to okay. stranger questions. What okay. scares what scares you that you're embarrassed to share?
1: I don't really get I mean the thing that scares me that I'm no, this is true that I'm, I'm not comfortable bringing up, um, is like money because, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've made a lot of money. I like, I'm, I'm like, I definitely am more well off than I ever imagined myself being. And I celebrate that. And I appreciate that every single day. But, um, you know, I, when my kid, when my first son was born, like being on welfare and that feeling of going to bed every single night, not knowing how I was going to like provide for my kid is such a horrific, just terrorizing feeling. And I think that's why when I see things like today's job numbers, I just, I, I freak out. Like I go into a depression because I know that feeling so intimately. Mm -hmm. And even though right now, like I have financial security, which is all I've ever wanted in life. And, um, but I still have this wildly irrational fear of being, being broke. And I think that if I was back to broke Casey, which I I definitely used to be, and I looked at like a a guy who has what I currently have, and I heard a guy like me saying, I'm scared of being poor, I'd be like, fuck you, man, fuck you. So I I don't feel like I'm in a position to ever talk about that. And that's fair. So I'm embarrassed to bring up this fact that I'm I'm a guy who has a lot of means right now, but I still harbor these somewhat irrational feelings of 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 fear when it comes to sort of losing this ability to support my family and care and take care of those around me.
0: Well, I think that's, it's helpful for at the very least two reasons. One, I think it makes you a, a much more whole empathetic person, but then also two, I, I feel like people that don't have the fear, that don't have the experience of not having are in a much more are in a much weaker position. Um, I, like that's when I'm in my darkest times, I think that's, that's one of the few reasons that I like, pick myself back up and go because i'm just like things you feel like things are bad phil (laughs) things could get so much worse and you fucking know that from personal experience uh so i think it's it's in 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 my in the land of always hads uh and and hyper privileged i think it's a it's a fucking superpower
1: yeah it is it is and we both know people who have always had and i think that yeah, I feel I I genuinely I feel bad for them because I their lack of understanding of what it's really like.
0: I think that's also part of the reason why it's like it's going to be really important, like how we raise our kids because they're going to grow up as you know always heads. To a certain my kids degree. are
1: fucked. My kids are fucked. Except for Owen, so? my kids are fucked. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean that. I mean that. And I'm not embarrassed to talk about this. It's like. I grew up in, like, my my family, we weren't poor when we grew up, but we didn't have a lot of money. We were very middle class, one of four kids. Uh, we never went hungry. Uh, but we definitely, you know, my we struggled. I remember my dad's company, like, almost going out of business, and I had to ask his mom for money. Like, I remember these struggles from my childhood. Um, and they definitely helped inform who I am. And when I look at my girls, all I want to do as a parent is protect them from what I had to deal with as a kid. I don't want them to deal with those hardships, but it's those hardships that made me who I am. Mm -hmm. So it's this like damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. I don't know how to, as a parent, I don't know how to navigate that. I try to give them the best value. I try to school. Like we're, we're figuring out what school to put Francine in next year. And it's like, you know, we're, we are sending her to a private school. Um, and I like I feel guilty about that. It feels stupid. But she's mm-hmm. gonna be surrounded by a bunch of rich kids. Like that is not a healthy environment. But it's also academically a fantastic school. So as a parent, I want to give her the most. But as a parent, I'm also keenly aware of the fact that she's gonna be surrounded by kids like you know that are super affluent. That's not a great social situation. And I don't know how to navigate that. Like it's a, it's a very scary place for me.
2: Yeah, and that's no, what I, I me mean when I say my,
1: my kids are fucked because like I. <laughs> I want to give them the best. So I'm doing that. I don't know that that's the right thing.
0: Yeah. I don't know. The the good thing is, I think, uh, especially with the age our kids are at, we got got some time to figure it out on the ground. (laughs) Hey there. Me again. Other Philip DeFranco who wants to thank one of the sponsors of today's episode. Warby Parker. Some of you know, I had LASIK. I no longer need prescription lenses, but I do remember what a hassle it could be and and frustrating at times, this tiresome process of finding the right frames. And you, you probably know the struggle I'm talking about, but I do have to say, getting some stylish glasses for an affordable price at Warby Parker is so simple, and it can be done completely online. Warby Parker glasses start at just $95, and that includes prescription lenses. And their lenses include anti-glare, anti-scratch coatings, and the best part of the whole thing is the free home try-on program. So here's what you do. You just order five pairs of glasses, you try them on for free for five days, just to give you enough time to take all the pictures you want, send them to your significant other, your best friends, your mom, and you say, you know, what does my face look like? Help me choose the right pair to make it easy for you to find that perfect pair of glasses for yourself. Warby Parker does vintage inspired with a contemporary twist and every pair is custom fit with anti-reflective polycarbonate prescription lenses. All you do is go to warbyparker.com DeFranco, you take the quiz and order your free home trial. is really that simple. There is no obligation to buy and they ship for free and the package even includes a prepaid return shipping label. And I was genuinely impressed with how easy this process was and how nice the product looked when I got it. And to top it off, Warby Parker partners with nonprofits like Vision Spring to ensure that for every pair of glasses sold, a pair is distributed to someone in need, right? We, we believe that everyone has the right to see. Also, if you're not a fan of glasses, fine. They've also got you covered with Scout by Warby Parker, which are comfortable, breathable, affordable daily contact lenses. You can order a trial pack that includes six days' worth of contacts for only $5, and then receive $5 off your next Warby Parker order. But main point, just head on over to warbyparker.com slash DeFranco, take the quiz, and order your free home try-on today. So enjoy, thank you to them, and back to the podcast. Uh, So let's see. Have not seen it.
1: What is the biggest question in your life right now, and why? Ooh, that's kind of a good one.
0: What is the biggest question in your life right now and why? What am I going to do after the election? I think is probably the biggest question in my life right now. Because I've been navigating, you know, this time period. And I've got like a general good idea for I'm not rushing anybody back to the studio. Like I'm I'm Mm -hmm. watching guidelines and then just based off of my comfortability with, with everything. But yeah, I think what happens after the election, one, because I have no idea what the the state of the the country and information and misinformation is going to be, uh, though my expectations are not good, no matter how everything plays out. Um, and my lease is done here at the end of, or at the a few months into 2021. Um, and I think part of the, the kind of the work from home measures made me realize that, um, as, as far as how many people I need in a studio and how much studio space I need, it's less. Um, right. and so we'll probably get something different, maybe try to buy if I'm every, everything's okay. So I would think that's that for me, that's, yeah, what, what the beginning of 2021, uh, 2021 looks like, um, is the biggest question in my mind. And I, I've been slowly navigating it thanks to the excessive amount of time I have <laughs>
1: I noticed with the Phil DeFranco show that like 2016, after that election, your show went to a place which which I love. And I think that the audience did, too. And I think your views reflected that. But it went to a place where it was like, um, forgive these numbers, but for example, it was like if your show was like 80 percent sort of a little bit YouTube gossip kind of back in the day and maybe 20 percent where you would touch on serious news. I felt like that sort of flipped right around the election in 2016, where your show became much more about the news, your perspective on the news, and like if there's something within this YouTube social media sphere that was worthy enough to, to discuss, you would, and I appreciated that, but you also are not afraid to tackle bigger issues, and I think we've seen that really culminate this year with like you talking with um, Andrew Yang, you talking with Dr. Fauci, you having taking on these really serious conversations. And I I love that, but I don't know that I've ever asked you like how just how deliberate that that pivot was.
0: So I think in 2016 there was a one specific video that made me realize oh there might actually be an audience for this because if I touched politics or anything like that in the past the video would, would die. Um, it Ooh. was a fact check video of uh, a debate with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, both candidates at the time uh that i think hit a million views and i was like oh people do care um and there there was already a distrust nothing uh in media not not like it is today um but i think that was one of the first times i realized it i mean honestly for from a from an anxiety standpoint i'd almost rather cover 70 percent like lighter news and then heavy stuff. It's just that everything in the news right now is important and is heavy and it's just different variations of fires. So it was like, uh, and you know, I'm shooting this one back to back with, you know, the, the Dr. Mike, uh, podcast that we did, but, uh, it was like yesterday, instead of just talking about, um, you know, news around COVID nineteen, which there was some, because almost it, it touched almost every aspect of life. It was like the other <laughs> stories that I talked about was a woman punching her dog and a guy getting shot uh, while while he was unarmed. Um, and so it's just like different heavy topics. Um, and there are times which I where I wish I had a a lighter a lighter show, but I think that inherently, I I also almost every interaction I have with people even though I get more views, if I'm talking about the YouTube stuff or shit like that, almost every time I meet someone in in public, it's like them thanking me for covering a serious topic and making it understandable, uh, both for them and family. And so I think, and that, that that's also part of the, when I talk about like the feeling of responsibility and guilt, if I didn't, bring a show that was up to expectation or you know I feel like I need to take a small break I think that's where it deri- it's derived from but uh but yeah I mean I guess I guess you could say it was part of the plan but everything with me is kind of this raw organic switch like some like even with what I cover on the yeah. show you know there's trends and ups and downs and but that's kind of if you really pay attention to the news that's almost all stuff it's like whenever you see one shooting, all of a sudden there's like seven other shooting reports that happen. So everything has kind of a trend.
1: Who do you... Let's keep it heavy. Who do you think's going to win in November? (laughs) Fuck you, Casey. Fuck you. You want to have this... I'm not asking for an endorsement. I I just... I think that... I don't know. And I could not be less excited about both candidates.
0: Okay, I'm going to say that. Part of this depends on what the what what Tom, what Trump's digital campaign looks like. Um mm-hmm. because that hasn't really even You by, mean the Death Star. He he's saying that he's taking the 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 term used by the media and they're like owning it. Um or I'm paraphrasing. But yeah, I mean that hasn't kicked into high gear. Um and everything that like whenever anyone talks about the polling, one, national polls mean bullshit. It's all about like at the state bullshit. level. Um the the state level is all that matters, especially in the like the key few states uh that that you know are are, are going to control the election um on paper uh biden was uh you know ultimately d- d- believed to be the candidate that could get the, more of those states um, and i think more importantly and maybe it'll become a bigger part of the conversation um be helpful for a democratic if once again everything can move you're 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 walking on on I'm not on a stable place, uh, but, you know, the congressional race is massively important because yeah. there, there are, I think it's five or six um, key congressional seats that could flip, flip dem. Uh And that's according to, to recent polling, but it's all within the, a bunch of them are within the margin of error um, because that's a big thing, too, is like what happens to Congress. Um, and so when when I when I try and figure out what's going to happen, one, what do the campaigns look like? What is the, the mudslinging look like? two, three months out from November? Uh, and then two, what's the state of the coronavirus situation? Because um, if, if we're still in a place where mail-in ballots are not incredibly easy in a number of states, which is the case, um, you're essentially gonna have to like try and convince, like if you, look at, if you look at the polling, Republicans in general are less fearful of the coronavirus. So you would expect that they would have larger in-person voting. So it would essentially be the left trying to be like, yes, it's dangerous. Yes, you're at risk for going, but it's the future of the country. And essentially be like throwing people out, knowing that, that, you know, they might get COVID-19 at that point, which has a death rate of whatever it's updated to at that point. So it's, uh, there's, there's too many variables. I think, I think it's, it's a coin flip for me. Okay, I know that so, I know that you have um, I know you have heavy feelings. You wanna you wanna express those feelings publicly?
1: Yeah, I do. That's what I do. Okay. I say this and I'm joking, but I'm also like I'm a little serious. I now I I think I don't want Donald Trump to win. I'm not a fan of Donald Trump. I've never been a fan of him. I think he's dangerous to this country, all of that. But I have this crazy idea as to exactly what Donald Trump could do to guarantee a victory in, in twenty twenty. What's this that? is not an endorsement, and I don't want him to do this, and he would never do this, but hear me out. <laughs> but here, let me Imagine, let me just give you the,
0: the codes to the nuke.
1: This is what this is. This is the codes to the nuke, but he'd never do this. Imagine our Republican president comes out right now and says that he is going to usher in universal health care as a result and a, a, a way to address the tremendous impact of the coronavirus epidemic in this country, pandemic in this country, now is the time, and it's never been appropriate before, but today it is, now is the time for universal healthcare. But he'd win the election, right? It'd be a great, all the Republicans would have to turn and be like, you know what, he's got a point. And they wouldn't be eating their own hat because like, you have this excuse, which is the coronavirus. Like, Of course we were always against this socialist bullshit, We've got the coronavirus now. It's a different monster. Everybody needs their health care. And it would just tear the carpet out from the sort of the democratic <laughs> policy point. Like, I think it could be incredibly powerful. It will never happen, Phil. But couldn't you kind of see that as an interesting, couldn't you see like some crazy world where something like that could happen? That, that Trump
0: outlefts the left <laughs> on one yeah. key point? Hey, I mean, if you think about it. What's what's more nationalist than saying that every American gets health care? Mm, Donald Trump, <laughs> like,
1: universal, universal basic income. Yang was made fun of for by everyone for that. And what's happening now? The government's throwing out these checks as they should do, necessarily. But that's not a that's not a very Republican. That's not a very well,
0: I think I know, think concerned. I think I think what it is to be a Republican has drastically changed, and I, and I also think it's not. I don't know. When I think of uh, Republicans, I think of people like. Uh, oh my gosh, uh, is it Michael Steele? Is that who I'm thinking of? Former RNC chair. Uh, That's yeah, who I R&J. think. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. This is like this is a this is a this is a different beast that I still try to understand. But I mean, I think to your point, I think if you know. When Trump says jump Republicans these days, at, at least, you know, in on the congressional level, they say how high. Uh, because I mean you look at the stuff he's been able to do with like federal judges and, and kind of like other exactly. other key points.
1: Maybe. <laughs> if he did something crazy like that. Think about would that not be the craziest thing yeah, ever? And then a, like what if he, it would never happen, so hey, it could it's never happen.
0: I think I think I think he's the in large he's like the president of polls. And it's like, whatever feels yeah. right in the moment, he'll say. I mean, there was that whole fucking thing. I forget which after which shooting it was, talk, it was talking about when he was talking about red flag laws. And he said the statement, and I'm paraphrasing, I like to take the guns first and then figure it out. <laughs> and then and like people were up in arms for a day, and he was like, no, here's what I mean. You know. Right. So, I mean, he gets to say everything. But, hey, if, uh, if that happens, I'm going to cut back to this clip and be like, Casey somehow called it. He, Donald Trump. Playing 8D chess, outlefted the left.
1: <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I hope he doesn't do that. I, I don't want to see him as our president for the next four and a half years. Um, so I say that in jest, but I do think that we—it's a brave new world politically that we're in right now, and who the fuck knows what anyone's gonna do.
0: What are your thoughts on uh, this? Uh, this this guy coming in as a as a third party?
1: I mean, I I don't know. I understand. Like, look, I'm sure. Like I, I can't speak to you know, the Democratic I can't speak to Biden and it's frustrating that I don't know what this guy stands for. I know one thing, and that's that he stands for himself not being Donald Trump. And I don't <laughs> you know I, like come on, that's not a crazy thing to say. I think a lot don't of people in the prim- I think a lot
0: of people in the primaries literally voted for Biden out of fear that uh or out of out of hope that he could like get The few percent of people that are like, oh, well, Trump's not my guy, but I don't want like to go super, super left. I I, and I think a lot of it was based less based off of excitement and more based off of fear uh, and strategy.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's such a crazy thing to say. I think it's exactly what it was. But I I just don't know what he stands for. And that's really frustrating. And I think like these, you know, like the allegations that are being made against him right now, um, I hope that, you know, I hope that they're given the attention that they deserve. Um, as crazy as that is, considering the amount of uh, you know, like the the tidal wave of allegations made against the president, which have never gotten the attention that they deserve. Um, I still don't think that's enough of an excuse to not give the attention give attention to every, you know, every allegation made against um, a, a public figure like that. But I, I just wish I knew what he stood for. So when it comes to a third party candidate, I understand the frustration on some people's part that's just like, you know i'm not hearing what i need to hear when it comes to the leadership in this country and if i'm not hearing it let me do something about it mm. um i get that i'm i'm not a big subscriber of the idea that like everybody should keep their mouth shut and stick their head in the sand just to you know just because we have to beat trump um i i want trump out of office as much as the next fucking bleeding heart liberal new york city jew like me but i but, but i um you know, I, I want to be. It doesn't mean that I'm willing to sort of chop off my nose despite my face, sort of thing. Like right. I, I want a better country. I want a better, I want better policies. I want to. I want more transparency. I want someone that I think represents this country better. I want all of those things. Um, yeah. So it, not an easy question to answer. Phil. Totally, I don't. Totally. I don't have.
0: Which is why yeah. I'm going to jump to what may be an easy question. Haven't read it yet.
1: If we never met. In what ways would I be different? Oh, God, Phil. (laughs) I
0: I would literally be the same person that I am.
1: Yeah. No, that's not true. That's not true. You don't think so? You would have never... You would not be the same person, Phil. You would have never introduced your children to whoopee cushions.
0: I would have never. That is accurate. Accurate. Casey, (laughs) has your life been affected by the introduction of Philip DeFranco in person?
1: How has my life been...
0: I don't think that you would not be different in any way if you didn't meet me. I enjoy our back and forths, but we would literally be the same exact people.
1: No, I can think of something. I think that you have highly motivated me to improve my my war zone skills because my kid brother now, when he calls me, it's just to get you on his squad. Perfect. And that's embarrassing for me, so I have to up my own game so I can have some quality time with my, you know, my youngest brother.
0: I think I think I get I, more joy out of him liking or appreciating me in any way more than you just because he's I told you this before your brother's like the ultimate like man's man I think I think growing up around those people (laughs) and always feeling like the quiet little kid I'm just like yes appreciate it for those
1: Uh, of you who don't know my little brother my my kid brother is he's just a he's a 20 percent taller and bigger than me in every way he's a he looks exactly like me but he's 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 much better looking than me He's a retired U.S. Air Force jet pilot who is now a professional stuntman that's in, like, every movie made. So, yeah, he's, like, the quintessential, like, he's kind of what, like, a guy should be, and we're just, like, dopes that talk on the Internet. So, yeah, the fact that he likes you on the squad, it's a big deal. It's a big, deal, it's it's a a big, big deal. deal to
0: me. All right, next one. When do you feel most alive, Casey Neistat?
1: When I find these, like, these bursts of joy in my in my life, that I think really eluded me when I lived in New York City, especially for the last five years in New York City, where my sole focus was on work. It was like, when I was there, it was just work, 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 work. And huge successes in work. Like when, I had, when I'd when have a video just explode, um, and everybody would watch it. You know, like the, the EKG of my happiness wouldn't really move much. Or like, you know, when I sold my company, which was a huge victory for me, and it was a big deal for me in a million different ways, like, I celebrated it and I was very proud but it wasn't it didn't give me this feeling that I've been able to tap into since we moved out here and I've sort of recentered my focus on life but like we inflated this stupid inflatable pool in our front yard for our for the babies to play in and like seeing my baby daughter like she's one she just learned how to walk like she's just turning into a real human seeing her laugh hysterically cuz my older daughter like is splashing her it gives me this like this like explosion of happiness that is so elusive in life. Um, Last night I went swimming in the ocean at like 10 o'clock and there's this like bioluminescent. I know, I know, I know. know, Come on. There was nobody around. Judge, judge. There was, there's this bioluminescent algae in the water right now. That's why we went swimming. And when you move your hand through it, like it turns blue. And I was out there swimming with like my neighbor and my little brother and like, that was one of those moments that like, I wasn't filming it. There wasn't a camera there. Mm-hmm. It was just, I was doing something for me and it gave me that sort of like that moment of, of happiness in life. And those little moments I think eluded me so much because my focus up until now in life has been so, um, work oriented. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of stuff. It's stuff that I know that I'm doing just for me or just for the people around me, just for the people that I care about doing those and then seeing it work out no matter how silly or stupid it is like that to me is, those are the most exciting parts of life right now yeah, i
0: think if i didn't have a kid i would have been, i'd be a little like what are you talking about but it is the the smallest little things like that yeah a thousand percent it's just the experience because it's it, the thing is it's like a it's actually such a fleeting thing right it's like if you think of like how many days that we have with our kids and how many minutes of actual like back and forth connection it's 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 huge It's massive. it's it's hard to put a like a, a value on it. But we do every day. Hey, really quick. I hope you're enjoying this special quarantine edition of the podcast. And I just want to take a second to thank one of the partners of today's podcast. PanK1 Network to Help Fight Pancreatic Cancer. And you may have heard of pancreatic cancer before in the news, right? Since a number of celebrities like Steve Jobs, Patrick Swayze, Alan Rickman, and so many more have been lost to this disease. And pancreatic cancer is considered the deadliest cancer with only an 8% survival rate, and that rate has remained almost unchanged over the last 40 years due to underfunded research. Meanwhile, other types of cancer have seen their survival rates double or even triple in that same 40-year period. And PanK1 is making incredible strides in understanding the various subtypes of the disease to develop the best possible treatments and Every donation gets them closer to that goal of raising the rate. And that's where you and I come in. Personally, I'll be donating a portion of the proceeds from today's video to the cause. And if you'd like to contribute as well, you can click on that link in the description down below to donate. And every little bit helps fund research that could save thousands of lives. And so if you're able to help at all, uh, thank you in advance. If you don't have it, definitely share. But that is it for now. uh, And back to the podcast. Here we go. Uh, Oh, actually, wait, this is... Fuck. It's your question. Back to strangers.
1: When, when do you feel judged and how do you handle it? When do you, you must feel judged every goddamn day when you click that upload button, you're literally being judged. And then there's a whole comment feed where people can share their judgments about you. I am just answering the question for you. you When you When
0: do you feel judged? I guess it's on stories like that. I, uh, I'm always, I think I always have to kind of try and balance this line of sharing myself as, as authentically as possible without, shitting all over other people it's like uh it's me trying to but without doing it in a way where it feels like i'm trying to tiptoe like uh we've been talking about there have been uh several just outlandish ridiculous um super church preachers right uh that that have been in the Mm. news and so it's like so it's obviously like oh here's this was fun let's let's in addition to talking about politics let's talk about religion and so it's trying to talk about the actions of Individuals that are representative of some, but in no way all, uh, and in a way that you're not like like fuck religion. So I, I think I guess judged on how I deliver things, um, and knowing that I'm kind of like damned no matter what when I'm bringing up certain points. So I think that, but I've kind of had to make peace with that. I I do my best job possible, and I try to have a team that can do the best job possible to make sure that I'm doing something as intelligently and as based off of facts as possible. Um, while knowing that's never going to be a good enough and kind of expecting the punch. I think in the early days I got excited by the punch cause I was definitely more of a fighter. And now I think I'm just, I'm in like, I'm in like round 10. I think I just need to,
1: <laughs>
0: I think okay, I just, so
1: I, I stay on your, at this point in time you just got to stay on your feet. Yeah.
0: They're not, they they're, they yeah, just, they're, they're icing me but, and they're not, they're not, not letting me sit down in the corner.
1: I think there's a truth in life, which is like, you you can't please everyone. So if you if you interact with 10 people in your life, if you're at your Thanksgiving dinner and there's 10 people there. You say your truth and two of those people are going to be like this guy's full of shit. Yeah. And the trouble is when you put when you share your truth and a million people see it, instead of it being two people that disagree, you got you got 200,000 people that disagree with you. And it just weighs on you and it's tough to maintain perspective in those moments.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's an unfortunate thing that like you really can't understand what that is until you experience it. And it also, I think gives you a a certain understanding of the weight and responsibility attached to, to like what you can do with that audience and what might happen accidentally. Casey, what would you say is the secret to your success?
1: Well, I'd say it's three things and two of them People love, people like me love to talk about. And one of them, no one likes to talk about. So it's the third part that's sort of the secret, but it's like, it's, you know, it's like work hard and be persistent and you will be successful. And that's, that's the truth no matter what. But I think the third part of that equation that no one likes to give credit to is luck. Mm -hmm. Um, Like luck plays such a fantastic role in any person's success. But it doesn't negate the fact that you fucking busted your ass. You worked so hard and you worked your whole life that once you find success, it's not sexy then to give credit to luck. It's just not. I want the credit. I'm the one who busted my fucking ass making a video every day for 600 days. But the truth is, the luck part was like, it happened to be at a time when YouTube was sort of at this turning point where it was going from this weird place where like prank videos and cat videos and basketball highlight reels got uploaded to being this like, Amazing new media platform for the world. Like my timing was great. If I entered that foray right now, do I think people would have watched my vlogs? No way. Not on the level they did five years ago. And that's luck. Like that's Mm -hmm. that's my timing was lucky. The fact that like HBO didn't renew my show, which was my whole life, which forced me to get like get beat down and then try to find the new outlet. Like that timing, that timing was completely out of my control. That was luck. It was luck. So the more I look at these things, the more I appreciate that, like, hard work and perseverance, if they're not complemented by luck, they'll only take you so far. Because I know, like, a lot of friends. I have a friend who's an electrician. I have a friend who works in a restaurant. He's worked there for 20 years. He's got fucking a serious work ethic. He busts his goddamn ass every day. Um, And he's persistent. He's been doing it forever. But there hasn't, you know, he's not in a position where luck could elevate him the way luck might elevate someone like me. So I think the secret and the thing that people don't like to give credit to because it's not fun, it's not sexy, is this thing that's outside of your control that I think is best described as luck.
0: Yeah, it sounds like even maybe part of that, especially when you're talking about your friend, is like an acknowledgement of desired scale as well. Just because, yeah, yeah, yeah I sure. think, yeah. And then maybe that even makes it more achievable because I know that yeah when I was younger the idea of like finding a job that I could do for 40 years and get like a hundred thousand dollars was like the dream and yeah that's and now thinking like of doing the same thing for 40 years seems like a nightmare
1: Absolutely. Nightmare. Absolutely. I
0: think, you know who I like admire their drive and I'm, I'm very excited to see how they evolve as Mr. Beast. Cause obviously he's like on top of the fucking world of YouTube right now. But as, as far as like a guy that always actively talks about like trying to do bigger and different and like the things that seem impossible, like he's <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever is like running through his body, they need to, they need to put in a fucking can and get out there
1: yeah I mean talk about persistence and determination like you know yes he was lucky like he was, he's found it had a lot of luck too but shit man like what it must feel like for, for Jimmy when he was getting started like when he told me the story of not having a microphone to record his videos and you go back and watch the first two years of video you can't hear what he's saying the sound quality is so bad but he persisted through all of that like he, there were a million times when he should have given up and he just didn't. And persistence is what carried him. I mean it. You make a video nobody watches. You make a video that you know is not good and it's not the kind of work you want to be making, which is sort of how he characterizes like his very early work to still find the gumption within yourself to be like, no, I'm gonna keep going. I will figure this out. Yeah. Like I I that he's absolutely a model for what can happen if like you just never stop persisting, and that persistence is complemented by like a relentless work ethic.
2: Yeah,
0: I think one of the ways that I saw it described uh, it was someone's video, something. Yeah. I don't know. Someone's video. And it was like, it was always that he maximized whatever he had. And initially early on in his career, it it was Mm -hmm. time. Right. And it was like, so he would do those like really long, ridiculous, no one else in the world would ever do them videos of like counting to whatever or saying whatever, uh, for those long videos. And then that just changed into, and then he started getting money and he immediately used that. And then he has this like system of friends and yeah, it's really smart. Anyway. Enough about Mr. Beast. He didn't even fucking invite me to rock, paper, scissors. Here we go.
1: <laughs> who in your family are most similar to you, and who are you most different from?
0: Who am I most similar to? Um, I'm a weird eh, – I'd say probably closer to my dad. Uh, my dad's uh, – he's got the – he's got that hustle. He's got that drive. He's way, 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 way more of a salesman than me. It's a skill that I never got. Um and actually and then uh I think I got a lot of my heart from my dad and my stepmom. I think that's that's it. And then none of the uh <laughs> none of the bad stuff from my dad.
1: A nice thing to say. That's a really nice love, thing to I love I love my well. dad.
0: Hey, my dad, my dad uh he he'll, he'll even say that he like uh he grew as a person over the uh over like the last 15 years. You know, sometimes older people they uh <laughs> You,
1: know. you teach an old dog new tricks.
0: Yeah, let's see. Who who do you think? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw that back to you. Who do you think you're, you're most uh, most similar to in your family? Oh, no, and who are know. you most? I, oh, I and like, sorry, the, I didn't answer the the who am I most different from? My mom, a thousand percent. Okay.
1: I, I think that like, you know, my my dad is this businessman, and my mother is this purely creative person. And I think that um, I think that like my dad's biggest shortcoming has been like a a lack of maybe a willingness to embrace risk and my mother's shortcoming is a lack of a ability or willingness to like embrace responsibility. <laughs>
0: um, I like
1: that mix. I mean it yeah. like they're both, they both live on such further ends of the spectrum. I think I've been lucky to like get that sort of business acumen and that practical thinking from my father while getting that sort of creative, uh, creative creativity as well as like a fearlessness, um, from my mother. And I think I've been very lucky to get both of those things. But I think it leaves me at a place where like, I look at my mom and I look at my dad and I have very little in common Mm. with either of them. They're my parents, I love them. Um, Talk to them all the time, like, uh, you know, good relationship, but I don't, I don't see myself in them. And that's a very, that's a very strange feeling. Um, And Mm. then adversely, like all of us siblings, there's four of us, nice dad kids, we all are are very similar. we're all fiercely independent. We all sort of pave our own way. We all sort of have avoided the norms of life and the, the sort of traditional trajectory that one might take in life. So, yeah. So I think that, that, that I'm most closely most closest to my siblings and furthest away from my parents.
0: Just, uh, out of your, out of your kids right now from the, like the personalities that have emerged, are they, uh, are they close, or are they similar, are they greatly different? Because I've noticed my kids are actually very, 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 very different, like polar opposites.
1: Very different. Yeah? Um, I think the baby, little, 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 my little, little baby, my one-year-old, I think she is probably the most like me, um, by far. In what ways? Um, you know, she doesn't, really, she doesn't really care what her sister's up to. She doesn't really care what's going on. She's just sort of focused on what interests her, and she doesn't really give a fuck about anything else. And that's such an admirable quality. I love it, and I like to think that I, I embody some of that, but I when I see that in her, I, I'm like, that's why I hope I am. Um, and then like sort of the opposite is I look at my older daughter. and not only does she look exactly like Candace, they have the same personality, the same sort of uh, intonation. They talk the same, they act the same, they walk the same. And it's like I always joke that like somebody spilled water on Candace and the next morning she had a tiny miniature clone that kid's exactly like her oh wow um so yeah I, I think I'm most like the baby and I'm excited to see her grow up to see if that becomes true
0: yeah I was gonna ask like how much do you think you're projecting
1: <laughs> I mean look if my, kid and my wife would say the same thing yeah. like uh, also I think Georgie the baby might be the only kind of athlete like oh and mm. my older son God bless him the kid ran track he did triathlons with me like he he did karate he did baseball like he did all the sports we asked him to do he hated every second of it. He's just not a complainer. But he did it. Like, that's not who he is. Yeah. And my daughter, Francine, is like such a prissy little, like, she loves dresses and dancing and singing and everything that her mom loved. And I hope, I think, that George is going to be like her father. She's, she's very yeah. good at throwing a ball for a one-year-old.
0: I was like, because the main differences that I found is my, my oldest, Trey, is definitely more, he's more sensitive. He, out of the sports that he's played, the only ones that he likes are individual doesn't like waiting doesn't like being on a team uh and the young one is absolutely fearless um like the first time i had to get my older son down or on water slides i had to (laughs) nudge him while he was screaming and like crying and then when he got to the bottom he was like that was so fun and i was like i know dude (laughs) so i told you you weren't gonna die uh and and, and, you gotta
1: listen to me yeah and
0: then like and we'd you know then you don't go for several months and then you have to kind of like do it again on the bigger slide and uh, and so, and like, he'll, he'll eventually do stuff, but the youngest is fearless. Like he, uh, the moment that he knew, oh, I can swim. And obviously we have like the, the pool gated and everything like that. This dude jumped off the, uh, <laughs> he was like, jump, jump. Cause he saw uh, a video where I did it. Uh, and he jumped off of like our, uh. Waterfall. It's a very small pool, but it's a pool. Uh, he jumped off the waterfall by himself um, with Lindsay like behind him. I keep clarifying that because people go like, "What are you doing with your children?" Um, but he just jumped off completely fearless. It's a. Uh, it's. I'm. I'm excited to see both of them grow up and just like how different they're going to be. It's fun. All right, Casey, your question to Wait, is it my turn? Or your turn.
1: I don't know. I mean, I get so into these deep, thoughtful.
0: You know, it's the perfect way to spend uh, the middle of your day, Uh, you know, what else are you going to fucking do, Casey? Okay, (laughs) let's see it, let's see it, let's Uh, see it. Describe the first time your perspective changed significantly.
1: I don't know about first time, I mean, the most recent time has been, you know, this move out west, and then where, like, I'm really trying to shift from a guy who's only focused on work to a guy that's really focused on family, Cause it's one of those things where it's like, it's easy to talk about and I can explain to anyone in a way that's like, Oh, that's good for you. Good work. But to actually sort of change who you are in life is a really hard thing to do that I've always struggled with. And I think that only like in the last few months, like this quarantine has promoted it. But um, I think that I've, I've sort of found it within myself to like change that perspective and like take how I value work from here And bring it down to here and take how I value health, family, like all of these other things in life that are arguably more important than work and just get them to go up. And that's been like a really hard thing to do. And I think what's me the most is that it it takes work to change yourself in that way. And we were talking about therapy before that. That's part of that. So that's been sort of the most recent change in my perspective is, is really understanding um, what matters most in life and appreciating the fact that I'm in a position where I can embrace what matters most in life
2: mm-hmm.
1: I love it okay what do you consider your three greatest achievements thus far oh wow. <sighs> you're not allowed to say your kids you're not allowed to say your kids because nobody gives a shit Phil
0: <laughs> yeah wait okay so yeah no 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 mention of kids no mention of the marriage like accomplishments yeah cuz we
1: all know that's number 1 of course of course that's number 1 we know understand that uh, give us something
0: else one's probably key milestones of what I'm doing probably wait thus far okay so it's not going to necessarily be the first time i think the moment that i made god is uh, such this is such a fucking tone deaf based off of the time but i'm just throwing this out uh probably the first time that i got to over having over a million dollars in my bank account that was like that didn't make any fucking sense to me that in my head that was something that happens yeah. after like 30 40 years of work um god two um performing eh, making source fed at its height um where I found what I find to be like I found to be like four of the uh like the funniest people I ever fucking worked with in my entire life um and that was like yeah it was definitely one of the best times of my life and then three Thus far, achievements. This is this is a problem. I have a I have a hard time with this, dude. I don't know. I'm blanking on the third one. Do you do you know what it is for me? <laughs> I don't
1: know. I, I know. I'm just thinking about that. And I think it's it's tough because a lot of these. Um, oh, and
0: uh, when, I these to, when I was able when I was able to buy up. my my parents' house for them. But I don't I don't like that two of the three are based off of money, but it moves things, you know,
1: that, that, uh, that dovetails back to what we were talking about before, which is like, I, I, I think it's only really okay to express. No, that's not true. I always think it's okay to express your appreciation for money and finances. I do, especially when it's not in terms of like buying Lambos and, um, you know, and like, you know, Gucci bags and shit like that. But I think that that's totally real. Like if you've been broke in your life You've been at that place in your life where, like, you don't know if you're going to be able to make your $700 a month rent and you're terrified about that. The, when you're in that position, the idea that someday you may be able to buy a house for someone else, that's fucking insane. That's the equivalent of, like, you know, standing in the middle of the ocean and saying, I want to be at the top of Mount Everest. Like, you're not even at the shore yet. Mm-hmm. and You're talking about getting to the top of Mount Everest. So I'm just saying that, like, no shame in that no shame in that because uh, hearing what you're saying like i would even say it more generically that like achieving some degree any degree of financial security has been like the one sort of external thing that kids aside and all that shit aside like yeah. that i would highlight is uh, uh, a benchmark in anyone's life that so many people strive to especially when you can look at like People like, you know, like I look at my, my parents who have both led successful lives where they've worked hard and all that. I don't I wouldn't say that either of them have a real sense of financial security. I think it's something that eludes more, pe- way more people than people are able to find. Um, I think financial security is something that's like so elusive, so difficult that it should be celebrated if, if you're able to get to a place where you have that. So fucking own that. Own it. Field. I am. Own How about it.
0: that? I'm. I'm. actually interested in that for you. What do you think are your three biggest?
1: I mean, I, it's a lot of them are tied to finances. Like I remember, you know, like when we before we left New York City, we had this amazing apartment in New York City, and I just remember like, um, I remember when I lived in an SRO, a single room occupancy, in New York City, and like it was a ha- essentially a halfway house. Mm-hmm. Like there were a lot of ex cons in there. And I had to share a bathroom that'd be like fucking covered in blood where I'd go there at two in the morning. And I just remember like laying in bed, which was a futon with like my kid next to me by myself in this scary little room uh, in New York City and being like, someday I'm going to have a house. Someday I'm going to have a real place for this kid. And then, you know, 16 years later when I bought like this ridiculously like posh four bedroom, four bedroom, four bedroom three bedroom, whatever, like amazing apartment in New York City that I bought myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't borrow money from anybody. Like I didn't have to have somebody else tip in. I didn't have to get a co-signer. Like I did Mm -hmm. it. I bought that. That to me, like so much. And it wasn't in the way that like a Gucci bag flex was. It was just that what that represented was that like my kids no longer have to sleep on a futon next to me. But now they have a place to grow up that was the place that I wished I had had when I was growing up. So when I think about like, yeah, that kind of thing just means so much to me and it's never lost on me. I wake up every day in the house that I live in now here yep. in Los Angeles and I'm like, I can't believe I live in this fucking house. Even though there was gunshots one block from my house two nights well, ago. Seven yeah You're, in seven a, you're
0: living in a, okay. a nice scary place is how I always describe that area.
1: That's why, we refer to it as a war zone, but yeah, nice scary places, sure.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm going to switch – but as we're closing things out, I'm going to switch back over to the the friendship, which apparently is the deepest <laughs> – we have a fucking deep connection. <laughs> Casey, what do you think is my mission in life?
1: Ooh, that's tough. Um, what do I think is Phil's mission in life? Uh, I mean, if a wishy-washy answer I think is like you – I see you communicating truths to people who might not otherwise know where to find that information. That's a very, that's my flattering response. I think like on a personal level, I think that I I do think that like you're seeking sort of an external validation um, in the way that you share those thoughts. Like I I think that you you try to be as truthful and as honest as you can with what you're sharing Um, in part because that's what you want to do, but also in part because you, you want people to know that you're trying to be the most truthful version of yourself that you can be. Does that, does that distinction make sense? I think so. I think, I think we're all that's, we're all guilty of that. That's what we all do. Um, most of us do. But I think that you specifically because of the space that you're in and the scrutiny that comes on anyone who's trying to disseminate information right now, I think that you uniquely have to confront that in ways that most don't.
0: Casey, here's a, a question. What am I hiding I'm just now. I'm just scrubbing through for the best ones. <laughs> what am I hiding? I don't
1: know. Using? Do you still? Do you still? Do you still adjust your camera angle to be as flattering as possible? Oh, a
0: thousand percent. especially in this fucking quarantine. <laughs>
1: you're hiding, you're hiding yourself, Phil. I know. I had to put. I just tell Candace she's not allowed to buy any more Pop Tarts. Oh, God. I've been on like a box a day habit. Uh, Those things are goddamn delicious. I'll.
0: Uh, i I'll, I'll run a complete day fine. Eight o'clock comes in. I'm like, I apparently need to eat all my feelings um that's 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 what i'm going through right now what do you see as the next steps in our relationship casey
1: i mean i'd like to take this you know to have more more of a physical space Phil. i feel like you know you and i we lack that physical intimacy you know just a couple of guys having a good time together in the hot tub Shirts off well
0: you got to think about it like literally gonna... every time we've hung out it's been such a last minute thing <laughs> it's like you you it's like one of us texts the other one at like seven in the morning we're like you want to get breakfast <laughs> <laughs> you want to drive I literally, 40 texted you at
1: seven... I literally texted you when i was in the valley a couple of weeks ago at seven in the morning and you're like hey man oh, wanna yeah, meet you're like breakfast two, in four two minutes? blocks
0: away from me and I, I wasn't there i know i know i know I'm Trying. How do you feel about the relationship I am in, Casey?
1: I think it's a mess. It's a. <laughs> I think it's a mess. It's time for you to look elsewhere. You know, I know you're married. I know you have a house together and two children, Phil. But you know, are you? Is she really the one?
0: <laughs> Lindsay's throwing. Lindsay's throwing the computer right now. She's going into Instagram stories. <laughs> I know,
1: I'm just seeing Lindsay on the other side. <laughs> She's just ready to go. I I think she's at the door right now. I I think my doorbell just rang. I told
0: Lindsay, I was like, her Instagram stories are fucking with me because I'll be like in the middle of just a horrible, hard day uh, where I'm just like emotionally exhausted. And then I go to her Instagram and she's just living like she's living her most fulfilled life. (laughs) I'm like, ah, I'm going crazy. Um, Last two questions. When have you seen me as my my best self? And I'll I'll give I'll give my answer for you too, since I haven't given you a, a question in a minute. I would say
1: I mean the the fluffy answer. Oh wait, do I answer this or do you answer well, this?
0: I've just been asking you. I was gonna I was gonna start off and say for me it was probably like the the last time we were in Venice and we got breakfast. Yeah, with the
1: yeah kids. with the
0: kids because just seeing you in dad mode I think is like it's a it's a different element that you don't share a ton online. You know, I uh,
1: yeah, and and you're I like also,
0: the when you're at, like in general, you're like the the master of your universe, but then also what's sw- in like easily switching between that and dad mode. Uh, also your kids really easy, like it was easy like when you had to take the call and then I went in the back and like show like we were showing them that like cool yard that they that secret
1: garden they had. It was just easy, which they proceeded to break everything, everything, but yeah, no, I, I think that I was I would say the same thing about you, like seeing you as a parent. Um, you can't trust someone parenting or what the relationship's like with their kids. If you're seeing it on camera, when you see it in real life, it's like, um, it's a different thing. And I think it's a very heartwarming, uh, a very heartwarming thing.
2: Yeah.
0: How do you feel safe?
1: Yeah. I mean, as far as physically safe, I don't know. I mean, that's a tough question to answer, but as far as like where I feel safe, weirdly, like through this whole Corona crisis, like I feel really safe in my house so much so that like, I don't, I don't know what time it is right now. It's like one o'clock in the afternoon. I haven't stepped foot outside my house today and I probably won't the whole day. And that's like most, most days for me, I, I don't leave anymore and I feel really safe here. And it's not just a physical safety, but it's like, I'm up in my little room above the garage right now. And I know that I can have privacy up here, but I also can like hear my kids screaming downstairs and Candace screaming back at them. So like my family's right there and like, when I came up here earlier, like, Franny was, like, taking a little break on the couch, like, watching cartoons. Like, that makes me feel safe. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I've I always tried to, like, build a little world around myself that makes me feel safe. And this quarantine thing has forced me to, like, never leave that world. And I have to say, like, it's a very, um, very positive thing.
0: I dig that, man. Any, uh, any kind of final things you want to say before I let you go for your pad thai and family?
1: No. I always enjoy doing these things. I always, I know you're like reluctant. You always hesitate before you call me. You're so apologetic about it. What do you mean? If you have time, it's like you're you're always like, if you have time, no stress. If you can't, it's like, what do you think I'm doing, Phil? I'm just sitting around playing. You know, I'm sitting around playing. I just constantly three hours of video games together a day. I can I can do half as much video games and half the time talking to you. I never mind. I
0: kind I constantly feel like I'm inconveniencing people and I'm not used to asking for things. Like literally the most uncomfortable uh, I've been recently was for uh, for Trey's birthday. I messaged uh, two YouTubers, Jelly and Cop, pretty much out of the blue to see if they... Uh, and I don't really have any history with them uh, to see if they could shoot like happy birthday videos for Trey because he's like in love with them. And they were gentlemen and they did it and they were badasses for doing it. But I was just like, it's so... I don't know. I feel like I I feel maybe I feel more comfortable feeling like I'm inconveniencing someone or maybe maybe it's even I'm subconsciously like overcorrecting because I feel like because maybe I think people think that I'm like, yeah, you'll do this. You'll do this. I don't know.
1: Right. But your time is valuable also. Look, I feel the same way when I have to text message Jojo Siwa asking her to send Franny another video. Talk about awkward. She's like 15. You know, I got to text a... And God bless her. Include this in the video, Jojo. I appreciate everything you do. That girl is so generous with her time. But those are the asks that I put out there in the world. Phil, I, am,
0: I will say I'm excited to see who she evolves in into at least public facing. Because I've noticed recently she's like slowly removing, if you want to call it, character, um, like in her like TikToks and like sharing more of who she is.
1: Right, she's she's sharing herself. Yeah, look. Let's end this vlog by talking about my affinity for JoJo Siwa. I watched, because my daughter plays them all the time, her old dance mom did when she was a little, little kid. Oh, that's where she's from. And those dance moms, yeah. they were so mean to her. They shit on her. They told her she's a bad dancer. They told her she's a bad singer. And then they interview her, and she's this little five-year-old girl, and she's like, I don't care what they say. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to succeed. And you know what? Guess which of those fucking kids succeeded and has her own goddamn Nickelodeon line at fucking Target jojo siwa she did it she did it she persevered she did it man jojo <laughs> great talk Phil. great talk Casey
0: Neistat, the head of the jojo siwa fan club thank you for the podcast Dude, in a second
1: <laughs> <laughs> good to see you good to see you. i'm gonna go see if my pad ties right, here